I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. And welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 214. Today is our January book club, and we are discussing Frederick Bachman's Anxious People. Before we get started today, I just wanted to mention that we partner with Libro FM. We all three separately use Libro FM. We absolutely love them. We are all members of the ALC program. So if you are a big time reader and you have not checked that out, they have an amazing program. We have more information on our website about it at unabridgedpod.com slash partners. And you can click on the link there to find out more about the ALC program. But the other thing that we wanted to share with you is that if you join Libro FM and want to do the monthly subscription, which is where you get an audiobook a month, if you use our code unabridged, then you can get two books your first month when you join. So we just wanted to let you know about that. There's also a link on our website for that. And again, that's unabridgedpod.com slash partners. And up at the top is the link if you want to join and have a membership with them. And that'll give you that two for one deal for your first month. And then if you scroll a little further down on that page, that's where there's more information about the ALC program. And again, if you have not checked that out, it is a really phenomenal program with great access to a lot of audiobooks that are just now coming out and they are offering those to get them into people's ears so that people have a chance to hear these great books that are new releases. Before we get started with our book club discussion today, we are going to share our bookish check-in like we do every week. Sarah, what are you reading? So I am currently reading Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. This is a celebrity memoir. I'm listening to it on audio because he reads it and we, it's well documented how much I like that. And it is really interesting. He kind of weaves stories about his life from the beginning. I think for his first 50 years is what he kind of touts it as, but he weaves stories, but also like these motivational (laughs) type vignettes within it's just kind of it's really interesting and it's really good he's very I mean he's an actor so the reading is dramatic he delivers lines and he has a lot of these like bumper sticker he'll say bumper sticker and then he (laughs) it'll be this like saying that has to do with whatever he is talking about and something that he would put in a bumper sticker or prescriptions or some, I don't know. And he will have like a quote that is supposed to be poignant. And so it's different, but I like it. And I especially the motivational portions are a little off-putting at times, but I think, but I really like the stories that he tells and learning about how he grew up. And then of course I, I like celebrity gossip and celebrity the genre of celebrity, like voyeurism. (laughs) So I enjoy like some of the stuff he talks about, I read about, you know, in people or us weekly. And then he tells his, the story, the actual story. And I really like that. So it's, it's really good. It's just, it's different than I expected, but it's good. So that is Matthew McConaughey's green lights. 
That one is definitely on my TBR. <laughs> I really want to read it. I really don't think that it would be, I would enjoy it as much if I weren't listening because I mean a lot, he brings a lot to the table when it comes to, to the reading of his words. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Nice. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. I don't know a lot about him, but I do really like the movies I've seen of his. And I believe he has a sleep story. I listen to those on the call map some, and I feel like he has one on there. He has a great narr- narrative voice. Yeah. He's, I mean, his voice is great. And yeah. I just always yeah. think of car commercials. Yeah. <laughs> he does talk about that, the Lincoln commercials in the book. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> What about you, Jen? What are you reading? This is a reread for me. I am reading Rebecca Mackay's The Great Believers. I read this back, I think in 2018. We talked about it on the podcast some because I absolutely loved it the first time through. And Read with Tony chose this as her buddy read. And sometimes I I opt out on those rereads, but this is one I was eager to revisit. And it is really holding up. So the first time through, I read it all in print. This time through, I've been switching between the print and the audio. The audio is just great. The book has two timelines. So one is focusing on a man named Yale in 1985 and 1986. And it is the height of the AIDS crisis in the United States. And Yale and his group of friends are just being decimated by the AIDS crisis. So Yale and his partner, Charlie, know a lot of people who are either sick or have died. It opens during a funeral. And I remember the first time through thinking, this is the most depressing way to open a book that I've ever read. And and it is. It definitely has those moments where you're just struck with the horror of what denial did in the United States and what ignorance, because People just weren't talking about it. And so for a long time, gay men were making decisions, thinking that they finally had made some progress and could be free and open in society. And then they were just devastated by AIDS. The other storyline is taking place in 2015 in France. And it is focusing on Fiona, who is the sister of the man whose funeral opened the book. So it's, you know, decades later, she has gone to France to find her daughter, her estranged daughter. She has, she's searching for her. She's hired a private detective. She found this really strange little clue that led her to believe she was in France. And so she is staying with one of the men from that community. He's an artist and he is getting ready to open a show with photos and video of that group of friends in France, just by coincidence. So that's not why she's going to France, but that is happening while she's there. So yeah, it is just the most beautiful, heartbreaking, hopeful, beautiful book. I just am loving it all over again. And I'm so, so glad I decided to reread it. Yeah, that I absolutely love that book. It's one of my all-time favorites. I would love to reread it. And I think what was so striking to me about about it is the way that you get this really up close examination of something that was a crisis, you know, that was a global crisis, but you're seeing it in a really micro way and what that looks like for the people being impacted in a lot of ways at the epicenter of what was going on. And at least for them, you know, it felt that way to them. And I just thought it was so powerful. Yeah. Gosh, such a great book and, and really memorable. Like I just feel like the language is gorgeous and 
the as soon as you were describing it, I mean, just a lot of the lines from it came back to me. And I think those scenes were just so moving. It's a really powerful book. That is one that has been on my list since I think Ashley talked about it way back when. Yeah, but. you would love it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also a subplot. Yale works at a museum and there's a subplot where it's complicated how it's all related, but there's an older woman who wants to, she was in France after or during and after World War One and knew all of these artists. And she is looking to give this collection of sketches to the museum. And her name is Nora. And... She is just, she is one of my favorite secondary characters ever. She is so fabulous. She has all these stories and she's really invested in telling the stories of these artists, these men that she knew. And she makes this explicit comparison between the way that the male population was devastated during World War I and the way that Yale's community, his friends are being devastated. And yeah, it just... I, I noticed that the first time, I don't know why that part I listened to, there's something in the narration there. It's, it's just fabulous. Anyway. Yeah. It's funny, that you, well, it's funny you said that, Jen, <laughs> because I was thinking that I remember right after I finished that that actually is one of the criticisms I saw of the book is people who did not like that subplot, but mm. same for me, I just thought it was part of what made the book so beautiful mm -hmm. to me. And so I did, like after I finished and I was so in love with it, I was surprised to see that. But I know some people felt it kind of dragged or that it seemed so, not irrelevant, but kind of irrelevant on the scale of what was significant in the book. But yeah, I loved how all those pieces tied together. I think it's gorgeous. I will say one more thing and then I'm going to turn it over to Ashley. <laughs> I saw Rebecca Mackay speak at the National Book Festival and you can watch that video. And she just talked about how she became interested in this topic. And a lot of the research that she did, a lot of the interviews that she did with men in the United States who were living during that time and who had survived. And yeah, her her talking about what that process was like to get those stories from those men was just fascinating. And yes, yeah, she's an amazing person too. So, okay. <laughs> I, will stop, I will stop going on and on, but everybody should read this book. Okay. <laughs> Ashley, what are you reading? I am reading one that has been very long waiting on my TBR, and it's Jonathan Saffron Fowers, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And the reason I really wanted to read this is because I had several students, one in particular, who this was her most favorite book. She absolutely loved it. She did this phenomenal AP Lit Research Project on it. And for at that time she had already read it she was rereading it did this really critical work and that was really impactful to me and has stayed with me and so i just had been wanting to read it and i finally got a hold of it through the library and so i have really enjoyed it so far this is the story of oscar and he is a very precocious I believe he's nine, so around nine years old. He's a very precocious nine-year-old, and he is working through the aftermath of the death of his father. We know in the beginning that his father died on 9-11, and we also know very early on that he was the one who came home first and that his dad had left a series of messages that Oscar heard but did not share with his family. He transferred them to this like secret phone and, and then he is holding this secret that he had heard these messages and 
shortly after that, he comes across a couple of things that lead him to believe that there is kind of he and his dad used to have these these like seek and find adventures and his dad would do those with him and he comes across a key and an envelope that leads him to believe that there's kind of one more adventure out there connected to his dad and so he is embarking on this journey to unpack that adventure and to figure out where that key belongs and who it connects to. And that's very much what the story is about. And through that, he's meeting all of these strangers that he's hoping are gonna connect him to this secret key. It's just a really powerful story. You have a very close look at Oscar's view of the world and the way that he walks in it and i think like that is really striking and then it also is just the story of grief and what grief is like for a child and how isolating that can be and how that isolation and that loneliness can really fester in in someone and when they're not getting the help they need and when people aren't asking the right questions to lead them toward you know, in his case, he needs he needs to get these secrets out that he's holding and he needs somebody there to be asking him so that he can kind of work through that. And so I think you as the reader are hurting for him as you're seeing that he's carrying this very heavy burden very close to his heart and that no one around. And he has a great relationship with his grandmother and there's a whole subplot happening that unveils a lot of her former life that's fascinating and also painful and so you see all of that and i think all of that's really beautifully woven together but even with the connection to his grandma he's still in a lot of ways is very alone and you're seeing a child who is working his way through that as best he can so again that is jonathan saffron foer's extremely loud and incredibly close that is one of my all-time favorite books. I'm, I want to know later who the student was because I used to teach that book. And so I'm wondering if she had read it with me junior year. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, like you started talking about the recording and I almost lost it. Yes. Like, I just, I don't know that I have cried so much and so hard through a book before. And yet again, it's, it has moments of hope. It is so beautiful. I cannot wait to hear what you think when you finish it. Oh my gosh. I, it is such a powerful, powerful book. Oh my goodness. Well, it's interesting that you shared The Great Believers, Jen, because actually a lot of the feelings, even though the stories are very different, the feelings I'm having in this book are actually very similar to the ones that I had with The Great Believers of just, I think you feel as a reader just so close to the characters and the experiences they're, they're having. And so I do think that that style is similar and the way that it has just like been so poignant and really stayed with my, like it stays in my feelings, you know, it's not just like I remember the book. It's like, I still feel the same feelings when you start talking about the great believers. So yeah, it's interesting. I think those both mm -hmm. have that emotional impact. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What a brilliant book. Oh. Well, all right. We're going to segue right along here. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm having a moment here. I'm, uh. I also feel very strongly about anxious people, which we're going to be discussing today. And so I'm eager to hear what you all thought. This one was a reread for me is one that I kind of coerced everyone into doing for book club, even though I knew you both would, you know, want to read a Bachman book. I was excited to read this one and discuss this one just because I think when I read it, I wanted the joy of being able to discuss it with other people because I think there's so much to unpack in what happens. But let me start with a synopsis and then we'll dive in. 
So this is Frederick Bachman's Anxious People, and it centers around a hostage event taking place during an apartment showing shortly before the new year. While the hostage drama only takes place over the period of time of a few hours, we as readers see everything that led up to the unusual series of events, and we see the aftermath once the hostages are released. In the unpacking of these events, Bachman shows us how these strangers come to know and understand each other, leading to a very unlikely outcome for the bank robbery gone wrong. So overall impressions first. Jen, what was your overall impression? I had an interesting journey with this one. So I ended up really, really, really enjoying it. There was a point where I was not loving it. And I think part of that is because my expectations for Bachman are sky high, which is never a fair way to go into a book, but I can't help it because I love him so much. And there was a point where we have a slack where we put comments and I put this comment that I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm feeling about this one. And then I got to right after I posted it, I was reading it and I got to this point and I was, I said, I just deleted it because I was enjoying it more, but it took a little longer for me to feel immersed in this one. And that's once I was, I was all in. But it was a little bit of a journey for me to feel immersed quite as much. And that might just be my life. I couldn't read it in big chunks because I had a really busy week. And you know, we were dealing with a lot of stuff. So I don't know if that's it. But yeah, I ended up really enjoying it. I marked 8 million quotations. I think the characters are the way their their stories are unfolded and then come together is really fascinating. I think it's got such intricate plotting that I really appreciated like the design of the book and the way, yeah, it all kind of comes together. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It just, it was a little bit of a different Bachman reading experience for me than the one I expected. Yeah. It's funny to hear you say that because I had kind of forgotten, but as you were talking, I do remember there are some characters in this who are very unlikable. And I think that this time that did not impact me because I already knew how the, all the pieces fit together. I mean, this was definitely one where I wanted to reread immediately when I finished it the first time, because so much of what ties together, you can't see until the end. And so I wanted to go back knowing everything I knew and then see how it all got there. But I didn't notice it so much this time, but I do remember there was a part, Zara particularly, I'm sure we'll talk about her. There were parts with her that I was just like, totally like, what? Like, you know, cause I think that they're pretty, she's unlikable in parts for sure. And some of the other characters are as well. So yeah, I do remember there were parts where I had a pretty strong visceral reaction to like the things that were being said or the ways that the interaction between the characters was happening. So yeah, I can relate to some of that. What about you, Sarah? What was your overall impression? So it's so funny to listen to Jen talk. I think this is my favorite Bachman I've read. I, and I also like agree. Like, I think it's like the moment in life where I am because like once we talk about our pairings, like, I am just like really into reading about different people and how people respond in relationships and looking at that interconnectedness between partners and family members. And I just think that he did a masterful job of portraying all the complications and all the things that everyone struggles with. And I think that his commentary on mental health and how we treat it is just really poignant and really 
spot on. I mean, just how living can be difficult, you know, and like that people are struggling and you don't know what is happening behind closed doors. And I just thought all of that was so impactful to me. And I really felt connected to a lot of the characters. And I think that even the ones that were unlikable, he was able to bring in these redeeming qualities and make you see, even when they're acting in this horrible way, that there are things that people don't know that are happening with them. So I just loved it. I thought I thought it was funny. I thought it was poignant. And I thought that the characters were so well drawn and I felt really, there were so many characters, but I felt really connected to each one in different ways. So I also loved the commentary on grief and struggle and how like when you lose someone, it is a struggle and everyone processes it in a different way. And like, sometimes that leads to coming together and sometimes that comes to growing apart. And I just thought, thought all of that was awesome. So I adored it. I mean, I think I'm a Bachman, like super fan. I have loved everything I've read of his, but I thought this one in particular was really like for number one, like Jen said, I thought it was like incredibly complicated in the crafting of how he plotted each point to be able to come together. And then I just thought it was, like I said, it's hard. I was like near tears at some points and then I laughed out loud at some point. So I just, I thought it was amazing and I loved it. And I also listened to it thanks to Libro FM and the narration is fantastic. So there's that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And how about you, Ashley? I think we know a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. I adored this one. And I thought, like I said, it's funny because I had forgotten about kind of that first reading journey until you were talking, Jen, that there were parts where I was like off put by the things that were happening. And like Sarah said, I mean, I think that all of those develop into something. And that's kind of why I had forgotten about that part of the journey, because you come to love each of the characters so much with all of their flaws. You love everything about them, including their iciness or their peculiar behaviors or, you know, whatever thing. And I think that's part of what's done so beautifully. But there are two things that I think absolutely worked and I'll just go ahead and say these and then I want to hear what what worked for you all. But I think what is striking to me are two things. And one is the way that Bachman brings the reader in to this situation and helps the reader empathize with someone who's made a really terrible choice. And I think we see how each of the characters in the book comes to that conclusion with the bank robber but we do it too. And I love that. Like that was really striking to me. And then the other thing that was really striking to me is the way that people can come together who know nothing about each other and work toward a common cause. And I think that those two things were what really resonated for me. And then like Sarah said, I think all the commentary about mental health, about suicide, about the stigma related to it, about the way that it impacts a whole community and the way that we carry the burdens of it and the way that we carry the burdens of thinking about it and what it means for each person. I think the way that all of that works out is really amazing too. So yeah, I mean, I, as I said in the beginning, I feel like I showed my hand, but you know, I wanted to read it as a group because I felt like it's great for discussion. I think there's a lot you can talk about. And for sure, I like, cried through the first time, cried through the second time, laughed through it. And, 
you know, I think that that's hard to do too, but I felt a lot of the humor. I mean, you mentioned that Sarah is just like absolutely hilarious. I mean, laugh out loud, funny in a lot of parts. I mean, the whole, everything about Leonard and his character yes. is just <laughs> like absolutely hilarious, but also, you know, social commentary about what, <laughs> what we value in society and why, and what people will do to affect that. And I think all of that's just so fascinating. So yeah. So those were some things that worked for me. What's something that worked for you, Sarah? So I, when I was talking about how I felt overall about the book, I think like the treatment of grief is something that really stood out to me and especially Estelle and her, like that part, I, I feel already reclimped, so I'm going to try to get through this without tearing up. But I mean, the part where she, when, when she first comes in and says that her husband Canute is parking the car. And then as we go through, we realize that he has passed away. And I think also the commentary on loneliness and how a lot of times in our society, we don't we don't do a good job of taking care of those who are older and like just with Estelle's daughter and her kids and they are there, they have their own life and they're kind of trying to force her out of her home. I just thought all of that was very impactful. And I, I thought that she was also a character who was funny, like her drinking the wine and getting drunk, <laughs> getting drunk <laughs> but that it's her home. But like, And everybody's like, where does she keep getting this wine? And it's actually her home. And so it's both funny, but so like the fact that she goes to the showing to just be with people. I just thought all of that was so heartbreaking, but hopeful. And the way that she finds a, like a family with the bank robber. I just thought all of that was just really, I just really touched my heart. And it made me think a lot about the way that when people lose, especially when you're older and you lose people or you lose your, your, your spouse or your partner, and then other people are living their lives. And it's like, we don't take care of those people. And I just thought that was beautiful and sad, but also like, a good reminder of how we should take care of each other. So I love that with Jim and Jack too. I felt that so strongly. And this is going to bleed over into what worked for me. I thought that Bachman does such a great job playing on our expectations for characters. And I think we start the book seeing Jim and Jack one way. And then as the book continues, the tenderness between them And each of them at one point or another looks kind of like a buffoon or kind of like they're totally oblivious to something. But then you see the way they are playing with each other's expectations and other people's expectations for them and the decisions that they make to care for one another in the face of the loss of Jim's wife and Jack's mother. I just thought it was beautiful. And, and I also like that. So Here's the moment that won me over. Some of the early coincidences, I will say, I found a little grating. Like some of the reveals of, oh, this was this person who was on the bridge or this was, yeah. I just thought, oh, I've I've read so many books that do this. I've seen so many movies that do this. And it felt almost like show-offy and I was a little impatient. But when it was revealed that the bank robber was a woman, I turned back through the book because I wanted to see how I read it in print. I wanted to see how he did it. And I like to think of myself as a feminist. And yet the whole way through, I assumed that it was a man 
And I thought the way that shook my understanding of everything that had happened till then, it shouldn't have worked on me, but it totally did. I totally, it, and it just, I just rethought everything from that moment. Well, and it's, along with that, the fact that her, that her spouse had an affair and the thought, and like, I was like, clearly that's going to be a man that the ball, I mean, and like, I like to think of myself as a feminist too, but the whole time her boss, I pictured as a man. Yep. Which also led me into thinking that the bank robber had, I mean, like, yeah, it was like, it's record scratch moment. (laughs) I mean, I really stopped for like five or 10 minutes. I went back through the book. I deleted my comment on Slack and then I read the rest of the book that night. (laughs) I could not stop because yeah, after that, that was what won me over and it shouldn't have, but it totally, totally worked for me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I didn't expect that either. And so that was part of why I wanted to read it again, because I felt like I was so taken aback. And I think it does. It just makes you realize all the assumptions that you bring to the table. And he is very clever to never state the gender except what the police officers assume. So there is there is a pronoun. I mean, rereading was helpful in that regard. There is a pronoun being used and the pronoun is he. So I do think like that's happening, but we're just interacting with their, they're they're making an assumption, but we're making it too. And so I think that like, that was all really fascinating. And then I just love, I mean, again, there were so many passages that I could have chosen and it's so hard to narrow it down. But one of the ones that really struck me was the way that, again, the narrator who's watching all of this unfold. I mean, there's a heavy-handed narrator in this. And I think we don't see that in, in you know, in books in the 2000s that often. And so like seeing this narrator who has bias and has opinions and has things to say, I think all of that's really fascinating. But in that moment where there's that series of statements about how you wouldn't rob a bank, you you wouldn't lie to someone, you wouldn't do that because you're a good person. And then it's the breaking down of those assumptions that we make about ourselves as good people and helping us to see that it's just our good fortune or our luck or you know the way that the cards are dealt that we're not the one making this terrible decision and i think like like i said in the beginning was something that really worked for me it was just like that we carry all these judgments toward other people which have to do with how we kind of continue to function in the world is by saying i wouldn't do that and part of that is just so that we can make space for ourselves and be gracious with ourselves and that's fine but then it's like remembering that there are all these things that have nothing to do with your own actions that help you have a home, pay your bills, do all these things that would prevent you from having to rob a bank. And I think like that part is just so powerful. It's such a powerful message. And I think when we find out it's a mom who doesn't want to get separated from her children, again, it's like, that's like a core fear that people have is a separation between a mother and child. And so just that unpacking of like how that can go wrong and how quickly that can happen is unsettling, but also is what evokes the empathy that I think is so powerful in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Empathy is a great word right there. Yeah. 
that it is just the way he builds that. Yeah, it does it for us, but it do- but again we see we see it happen for the characters and I think like that's really amazing too and exactly what you said with Estelle, Sarah and the ways that they come to love her and care for her and I think like all of that is just again because of empathy and that ability mm-hmm, yeah. to see her and to see her as a complex person and not in this like simple way and then that leads to this really great relationship. Yeah. That happens with Roger and Annalena too. I went in to the descriptions of their relationship in a very particular way, which again, he is building on the assumptions that he knows we will make. Yep. But that's another one. I just came to love both of them so much, but they are so different from who I thought they were at the beginning. I mean, if you go through every character in that book and look at the course of what we understand about them and then what we come or what we assume about them and then what we come to understand every single one it is a journey yeah yeah i don't know how yeah it's amazing i love that part where annalena was telling julia when they were in the closet about roger and the guy in the parking space and how julia made the assumptions that we as readers were making about roger and then Annalena tells that story and it's totally yeah, like kind of tips you on your head. I really like that yeah. too. Yeah. And same when, when Leonard and Zara are having that conversation and he talks about how much he's rooting for them and like explains Annalena's motivation for hiring him all those times and what that meant. I mean, same. I just feel like we make, yeah, I just love that. I feel like this is a book that's really humbling to the reader. And also that just reminds us that people, I mean, going back to what you said in the beginning, Sarah, that people are complicated and we never know what anyone is carrying with them, but we're all Mm -hmm. carrying things. And that like willingness to understand that and to see that helps us be more understanding of other people Mm -hmm. in this really beautiful way. I mean, I just, I just really, yeah, I loved it. And I also, I want to say one more thing. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the humor. I love the way they use Stockholm and Stockholm <laughs> and how it had all of these different meanings and it was an adjective. Yep. It was so funny. I really <laughs> like that so much. House That's tricks. Cool. That one got me. House <laughs> tricks. That real you estate have... agent. Oh my god. In the narration, the lady that the woman, I should say, that does the does the narration. Her she has different voices for all the characters, and the house tricks lady. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it's great. She does a great job. <laughs> Well, we wanted to each share a quote, and I know all of us probably had trouble narrowing it down, but we are going to pick one each to share with you. Jen, what is yours? Yeah, I had to reduce the size on our document here because I had so many (laughs) that I wanted to have just to choose from. So I think I'm going to go with one. This is Jack's mom is saying this to Jack, and she says, we can't change the world, and a lot of the time we can't even change people, no more than one bit at a time. So we do what we can to help whenever we get the chance, sweetheart. We save those we can. We do our best. Then we try to find a way to convince ourselves that that will just have to be enough so we can live with our failures without drowning. And I just thought that encompasses so much of what I loved about the book for me that Bachman, the narrator, whomever, is not saying we can save everything. It's not about grand gestures. A lot of it is just about making one kind choice for someone else. And that that can make a difference. It's not going to make all the difference, but it can make a difference. And just 
I think that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one too. And I loved the idea like that something else that came up related to them a lot was about the, even if the world's going to end tomorrow, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the quote in front of me, but you know, even if the world's going to end tomorrow, I'm going to plant my apple seed today. And that, that is something that Jack and Jim are holding on to from their, you know, from his mom slash wife and something that she really instilled in them. And I just thought that was really beautiful too. I mean, this idea that things may be terrible and there may be something really horrible coming tomorrow, but we still have to do our best today. And we still have to like, you know, we, we just have to do our best and we have to keep Mm -hmm. doing that even in the face of what could be really awful circumstances. And I think that's really powerful too. What about you, Sarah? What's your pick? Oh my goodness. I had so, so much, (laughs) I had so many things uh, marked and I listened. So I was screenshotting and then I was like, (laughs) find it in my book. But I think what, I'm going to go with is Annalena. She said, you love each other until you can't live without each other. And even if you stop loving each other for a little while, you can't, you can't live without each other. And I really appreciated the representation of Annalena and Roger's relationship in the book, because I think a lot of times we get parents of young kids or we get older people, but these are two people who their adult, their children are grown, but they're not, they're not what you would say elderly. They're just trying to navigate not having kids and they're both of their children have decided not to have grandchildren or, or have babies themselves. So they are trying to navigate life with each other and like in retirement and trying to figure out how they're going to make it. And I really loved when she was kind of giving this advice to Julia and Roe, who are at the beginning of their relationship. And I think a lot of times marriage, people think about it in a way that is pretty, before you are in the marriage, you think about it and like that this is like going to be like a fairy tale. And a I think that marriage, yet. <laughs> yeah, and marriage is hard work. And like there are times when you have to just suck it up and push through because you love each other, but you might not always like each other. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, and I just think that, that this, that Annalena bestowing that knowledge and that and her experience to Julia was just really impactful. And I love this quote because I think like it's a good rep- representation of marriage and how you have to work at it to make it to make it work. Yeah. Yes. I thought, I mean, you, you commented on that too, Jen, earlier about like how they turned out to be such different people than what we kind of judge them to be. And I think we see that in the quote and, and we see that, I, I think part of what I really love is that you see that it's hard work, like you said, Sarah, but then that they really love each other and that they care so deeply about making each other happy. And I think that's, what's really beautiful is that juxtaposition of seeing how difficult it is and how both of them, like in those interviews early on where they're talking and they're like (laughs) unpacking their problems to Jack and Jim and, you know, poor, the poor (laughs) police officers are like wanting to beat their heads against the wall. But I think you see that, which again is that surface level idea of thinking, you know, something about someone. And then we come to see that really everything that both of them are doing is so much about bringing happiness and fulfillment to the other person, even Mm -hmm. if it's misguided. And I just thought, I love that. I almost picked for my quote, the thing about the climbing trees. Again, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the quote in front of me, but I mean, where it talks about how when you have children, you're just like up and down and up and down and up and down the trees. And every day is just this like jungle of trees. 
I feel like y'all probably related to that. I certainly I have, yeah. I have young children and I just totally relate to that, that suddenly you can't keep up with the time and all you're doing every day is this really difficult task of carrying mm -hmm. on and how you just hope that like at the end of that, everything's going to be good, but then how hard it is for that to be the case when years and years and years have passed of you all not climbing together, but both climbing up and down this journey. You know, I mean, it was just like really like Sisyphus. I mean, I think it's that idea of yeah that you just you're just doing the very best you can, and then every day the rock rolls down and you do it again. And I mean, yeah, I, I love my kids, but it it does feel like that. And I just thought that was so resonant, and I appreciated seeing that in a book because I think that often either the relationship is unhappy and things are falling apart. Or the relationship is kind of in a happily ever, you were moving toward a happily ever after situation. But I thought this was just a really authentic, that it is, it is all the things. It is happy. Yeah, it is yeah. unhappy. It is up and down. And that's all part of it. And it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like this was another example of me making a, like you, like you said, assumptions yeah. and also like gender-based assumptions yeah. based yeah. on Annalena and Roger. And like, I thought Roger, you know, I, I mean, like it, finding out that Annalena was this high powered executive and that Roger chose to stay home with the kids and all that. And then like, once they left, he couldn't find his purpose and all that. I mean, I totally like, based on gender roles, yeah. like placed them in a cat, each of them in a category. Yeah. And then I'm, then that, that makes you self-examine and why mm -hmm. am I doing that? You know, well, and I even his that. ambition and stuff, I think lines yeah. up with those assumptions that you make right. because you think that why he cared so much about having to, you know, about nobody cares when I retired or he wanted uh -huh. to move up that all of that was based on this idea that he was completely motivated by his, his professional ambition. Whereas mm -hmm. really, you know, we come to find out that it was very different from that. So yeah. Right. Yeah. So fascinating. Yes. Ashley, what quote do you want to share? So I had a bunch, but I am going to go with this one. And this is not my favorite as far as I think there are others that are more lyrical that are more that struck me more as being like a truth about life. But this is something I wanted to share because I like the way it showed the characters. And this is about Roger and Julia who are a very unlikely pair amid the group <laughs> and they find themselves together. And so this is that section and it, it says, Roger was standing beside the fireplace, unsure of how to make himself useful and said to Julia, do you know how to do that? Julia glared at him and was about to tell him that her mom had taught her how to make a fire in, in such a way that Roger couldn't be sure that didn't mean Julia and her mom had set fire to her father. <laughs> <laughs> but it had been a long day. They had all heard one another's stories, and that made it harder to dislike one another. So Julia said something incredibly generous instead. No, can you show me how to do it? Roger nodded slowly, crouched down, and started to talk to the wood. We can, I'm assuming, unless you... We can do it together, he mumbled. She swallowed and nodded. I'd like that. Thanks, he said quietly. And I think I just absolutely love that because it shows how it takes a little work to dig inside ourselves to be kind, but how those tiny little gestures can mean so much. And I just think like, I mean, my kids have been in a foreign country and they don't speak the language very well. And I think other children will never know what it feels like to them when somebody reaches out to hold their hand mm -hmm. or to pat them on the back or to walk into the building with them 
and I see how it impacts them. And I just hope that that like carries with them for their lives and that they remember to be that person and to reach out to someone. And I just think we see that here. We see both Julia and Roger going above their kind of basis yeah. level selves and instead making space for the other one to feel important and to feel needed. Yes. And I think all that ties into that idea that we hear with Nadia and Zara that keeps coming up also about that like, at the end of the day, everybody does want to be a good person. We do want to be needed. We want to be useful. We want to have a purpose. And so I just love how, while we see that each person in this is such an individual and they're so unique in the way that they walk in the world, they also have these really important things in common. And like when we remember those that we're like such better people. So yeah. Mm -hmm. That line within that quotation, they had all heard one another's stories and that made it harder to dislike one another. I think is so powerful because of course that's true. How often is it that we hear about something someone has done and that's all we know about them and we judge their whole existence, their whole humanity on the basis of that one thing. And then when you hear everything that led up to that, whether it explains it or whether it just shows that that is not the only thing we should know about that person, it is so powerful. Yeah. So we are going to share our pairings. We got to move things along here. We can talk about this all day, but we, we also know that you all are listening, which we appreciate. So we're going to keep going. We wanted to share our pairings for this one and I've lost track, which I always do when I'm the one hosting. Jen, what's your pairing? So I, I had to ponder this for a while. I eventually settled on Muriel Barberry's The Elegance of the Hedgehog. And the connection I see here is that I really loved about anxious people, that sense of empathy and of graciousness and of forgiveness that we have for people who make mistakes or who aren't always pleasant, or we only see one side of them. And so again, we make these assumptions and I felt so many of those things were true in this book. So the elegance of the hedgehog has two main characters. One is Renee. She's a concierge in an apartment building in France and at first, you think that she is this not very smart, really cranky, just really unpleasant person in the building who just doesn't like anybody and goes out of her way to be sort of abrasive to everyone in the apartment building. The other one is Paloma, and she is a 12-year-old girl. I talked about this on the Bookish Check-In a while back. And this moment is really shocking, but she's a 12 year old girl who kind of hates her family and doesn't feel like she fits in anywhere. And she has decided that when she turns 13, she is going to commit suicide and she is going to blow up or burn down the apartment building. And again, I think you start the book with these assumptions about these characters and their place in the world. And as their stories develop, you understand who they really are. You understand how they relate to the world and they become, they come to know each other and you see this building sense of connection and what that can mean for characters. There are a lot of other secondary characters in the book who sort of flesh out this idea. So, and it's not quite the same ensemble feeling that anxious people has. There aren't as many characters who are the focus of the narrative but you do get that sense that there are so many people who have hidden depths, who others judge because of one thing about their personality or their character or their appearance. 
and that all of them have depths that we eventually get to see. So I, there are so many, the plot is not really the same, but there are so many feelings that I felt when reading that book that I felt when reading anxious people. So for me, that's the real connection there. So again, that is Muriel Barberry's The Elegance of the Hedgehog. Yeah. I remember you talking about Jen. It sounded really interesting. And then I have seen some really great reviews about it that have made me want to read that one. Yeah. I think you both would really love it. It's really, it's amazing. What about you, Sarah? What's your pairing? So my pairing is Cynthia D.A. Sweeney's Good Company. I read this and I think I talked about it in a book is check-in. I read this for my in real life book club and I loved it. And like Jen was saying, I think that what it, the reason I paired it with anxious people is I had a lot of the same feelings when I was reading this book and really felt impacted by the characters and their choices, just like I did in anxious people. This one centers on four people. It's two couples, Julian and Flora and Margot and David and Margot, Julian and Flora are actors who have been a part of this theater company called Good Company. And then David, Margot's husband, is a doctor who suffered a stroke and is having to deal with not being able to be a surgeon anymore and all of these things. And it's basically the, the premise of the book is that Flora is looking for something and she is digging around in a filing cabinet and she finds this envelope that had, and she opens the envelope and it's her husband's wedding ring that she gave, that they exchanged when they got married, that he said he had lost years ago. So that we find that out in the beginning. And then the story is the unfurling of what came to pass to have this envelope with the wedding ring in it. And it's just about, again, about relationships, what we hold from each other and what we give to each other and how we can come back from a betrayal and how marriages work and how you have to, when do you leave a marriage? When do you stay in a marriage? When do you leave a friendship? When do you stay in a friendship? It's just all of these things. And each of them are really working through their own things and um, not always sharing with each other. So there's just a lot there with relationships. I think anxious people, I think it could be a polarizing book because like when I posted on my Instagram, people were either like, I loved it or I struggled to get through it. And I think good company is that way too. I think that going into it, it is more about the relationships and less about getting to the conclusion. It's more about the journey than the destination. So, and I feel like anxious people is a little bit like that. I do think that anxious people has a lot more of a forward propulsion to get to the end and it is, it wraps up more cleanly, but I do think that they are similar in that they really focus on relationships and the way that we interact with each other. And they both have a pretty impactful message, in my opinion. So that is my pairing. It is Cynthia Dieprick Sweeney's Good Company. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by that one, Sarah. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to read it. Ashley, what is your pairing? So I went with, I went a little bit of a different route, I think, but I chose Taylor Jenkins Reads Malibu Rising. And I shared this one on a book, it's check-in. But the reason I wanted to use it for a pairing is because like anxious people, it has a central event 
that is pretty tightly woven and happens over a short period of time. But a lot of the book is the unpacking of everything for the characters that leads up to this relatively compact event. And so that was the main reason that I chose it because I think I appreciated the way that they unfurled and felt like that part was really similar, the framing component of it. But the other thing that you really see in this, this focuses on four siblings. They are all in early adulthood. The youngest of the four is still college age, but they're all kind of in their 20s and they are navigating their relationships with each other. And so it's a lot about the responsibilities we have, responsibilities for ourselves, responsibilities for the people we love, how those can weigh us down, and also how important the people are to us and how far we'll go to take care of them. And so I think that we see that in anxious people and we see that in Malibu Rising and the way that because they love each other, these siblings will go so far for each other. And yet they all are carrying these secrets and they have these burdens and all these layers under the surface. And even though they know each other so well, there are so many things they don't know about each other. And I think we see that in this too with Jack and Jim. I think we see it with Annalena and Roger. I think we see it with Julia and Roe. And so I think when we get to see their relationships in the book, I think that those parts are similar in the way that we realize that these are complex people and that each individual has all of these parts of themselves and that that affects the way that they interact with the people they love. So I really absolutely loved Malibu Rising. We are all big Taylor Jenkins Reads fans here. So if you've been listening, I know you've heard us talk about her books before, but I loved this one and just found that it was really powerful. And yeah, I think that's I such a great it. pairing. Mm -hmm. yeah, so good. I, I mean, I just, I was going to say about the narrator, but then I realized it's not the same narrator, but that one on audio is Julia Whalen, which is, she's a great narrator and Anxious People is Marin Ireland, who is also a great, both of them, I'm a big fan of their narration. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, I think that it's a great fit. I, it's quite a different book. And the things that I talked about that I absolutely loved in this one are quite different than the things I loved in Malibu Rising, but both of them have that strong focus on relationships and on what makes them work and why they're complicated. And, you know, like I said, the framing part, I think is really significant as far as just the way the plot unfurls. So, well, we wanted to end with bookish hearts before our give me one. Jen, how many bookish hearts? So for me, because of all the things I said at the beginning, this one gets four and a half. Awesome. <laughs> and what about you, Sarah? Five bookish hearts if I could give it 10. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ashley? Same. I give it all the hearts. I absolutely love it. I loved it the first time. I love it again. And I'm thankful that I don't have to rank Bachman's books in order because that would be very difficult for me. But I did really love it. And, um, you know, for all the reasons I shared. So we wanted to end since it is January with a non-bookish related goal. So Sarah, what's one for you? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> I start every year with just like a list of goals and sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not. But my goal for this year is to systematically clean out my home. I I started in 2021 and did um, a few things and then I 
life, you know? <laughs> and so I'm hoping to continue doing that. And I'm trying not to put a lot of pressure on myself to do it in a certain amount of time, but I would like by maybe summer to have everything cleaned out and more breathable in my home. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. What about you, Jen? Mine is similar. My Mine is really focused on closets in my house. Since last summer, uh, there are some closets that's just like you open the door and things fall out, which is not <laughs> a good place to be. And so it's, it's, again, one of those things I keep thinking on the weekends, I should work on them, but then there are other things to do on the weekends. So yeah, I just want to take maybe a closet a weekend. And, and they're not even the closed closets, although that could certainly be done too. It's just like the little hall closets where, you know, that, that's kind of the catch all and it's caught too much. So yeah, <laughs> that, that, that would be mine. How about you, Ashley? So one that I would like to do is right before longtime listeners know this, but right before as quarantine was happening and everything was shutting down in 2020, I had signed up for a half marathon. It's been a long time since I've run races, but I did have marathon and marathon in the past. And then when I, we moved to Virginia, I really got away from it for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think the amount of time involved in training has just not been practical for me with young kids. And I'm okay with that. But I just was at a point where I wanted to be able to prioritize that for myself again. I'm very goal driven when it comes to things like running. So I don't care about running in a certain time or anything, but I do need a pretty difficult task in front of me to mm -hmm. keep my momentum going. So I know that that works for me. So I had signed up for one and Jen and Sarah were there with me when I was like, yes, I'm finally like doing it. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting it going. And you know, that suddenly became not important at all and that's fine, but that race, of course, didn't happen in 2021, but will happen in spring of 2022. And since I had already signed up, I can just do it. So I really, oh, nice. yeah, so that's nice. And I just really want to do it. And so that's in May. And I'm just hoping to get on track for that. And I feel like that's doable at this point. It There were a lot of times during quarantine that it just didn't feel that way. But I think that it is doable for me, but it is enough of a motivator to where I will have to you know, set some goals and, and work toward it. And that's what I wanted. That was what I wanted in the beginning. So back around to that one and I'm hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, <good luck. laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We have enjoyed discussing this on Instagram with the bookish community we have there. And we are excited if you didn't join us for that discussion, but you have things to share for anxious people, please let us know. We always love hearing what you thought about the book. So you can tell us on socials, you can email us, you can DM us at Unabridged Pod, any of that. But we love to hear what you thought about the book club book. And it also be sure to join us for the Give Me One on Monday and let us know what your non-bookish related goal is, what one of them is for you this year. Thanks so much for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.